This is the Resilient Disciples podcast powered by Awana. I'm your host, Ross Cochran, and thank you for listening to episode four. This podcast is a conversation around some of the thoughts and ideas in Awana's latest book, Resilient, Child Discipleship and the Fearless Future of the Church. Today, I was joined by the Chief Communications Officer at Awana, Mike Handler. If you're a parent or you have a kid in your life that you really care about, which should cover pretty much all of you, this is a conversation I think you will really appreciate. So put down the dishes or laundry if you have to, so you don't miss any of the details. For context, Mike and I briefly met before I started at Awana. So I began the conversation with one of the most unique things I've observed about this organization. One of the most unique things to me about an organization like Awana is, and it sounds like a joke and I really don't mean it to be, but like people people like it here for a long time. Yeah. Um, and I think that's rare to have people who have been in, connected to a ministry or connected to anything yeah. for decades a lot of you listening, that is your story. And I think in particular with Kidman, it is even in more, even more rare, mm. uh, even rarer would be how English speakers would say that. <laughs> There's sort of this like stereotypical like Sunday school attitude, right? Where sure. it's like Kidman is like this thing that happens down the hall. You're going to do this yeah. while glorified childcare while yeah. we do the real church over here, right? Absolutely. When did you realize that that was not your attitude? When did God bring that out of you? That's a good question. For myself, it's it's probably been an ongoing process. There's not been one singular time. And and, and it's always still a, a kind of a pull of tension. Okay. Um, like just being completely transparent. No, that's great. I've got four kids, right? Okay. And man, like theoretically, all the time theoretically, I, I always want my kids to be with me in almost every setting of spiritual maturation. Mm-hmm. I really do. My wife and I both value church experiences that are not just shutting generations down into one kind of area. Mm. Um, If my wife were here, she would tell you that one of her greatest kind of times of spiritual growth and maturation happened when she was in a mixed generations small group in college. Right. So that's because even like you're a young parent, we have young kids, you know, you need somebody to tell you you're going to sleep again. It's going to be okay. (laughs) Right. Right. So so there's this, there's this I'm desire write that down for my wife. Yeah, it will happen. Yeah. Uh, it, yeah. Um, so there's this desire to have kind of this, um, organic cross functional spiritual maturation, if you will experience that's very real. And I would say that that's, um, that's definitely, I think represented in the book, although not, uh, exclusively talked about or sure, you know, maybe, maybe expressed in that sense of clarity. But the other pull attention, like if we're just parents talking like parents here, yeah, is the fact that sometimes you're just going to delve into some things that you're just like, okay, like the uh, the Sunday school lesson on Song of Solomon. It's just you're going to leave some stuff out, right? It's just going to be some things that <laughs> need to be curated, maybe. Yeah. Um, but outside of that, That's a good joke. <laughs> but out, outside of that, um, you know, there, there's definitely something genuinely wonderful about my son who's in middle school being around men and women who can speak into his life as mm-hmm. leaders. Mm-hmm. Um, there's definitely something great. Oh, last night, last night, my daughter, uh, her Awana leader came to a school musical and, and they go to a Christian school. So, I mean, it was a, it was a gospel centric musical. Okay. Uh, and my, my daughter who's leader came, she didn't even necessarily have a starring role. She she was singing in a trio and she was, you know, all in the thing, but sure. You know, her Awana leader came and it was, it was fantastic. It's like, yeah. Oh my goodness, this is, 
this is that beautiful, wonderful body of Christ loving one another. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, there's a wonderful inconvenience, if you will. And it was just like, it was fantastic. Mm -hmm. So getting back to your question. No, that was good though. You know, I think that, you know, for myself, um, it's an ongoing process. It's a, you know, as we talk about resilient discipleship, there's definitely as a parent and as somebody who's been involved in full-time pastoral ministry and church planting and that type of work, man, it can't just all be for today. It's got to be for tomorrow. It's got to be, you know, it's got to be for the future and it's got to be future focused. And, uh, the gospel certainly that, you know, yep. Jesus isn't taken back by anything happening today or, you know, astounded by something that might surprise us tomorrow. Uh, he knows. Yeah. And, and we've got to have that confidence and feel kind of duly responsible for what we can be a part of and, and rest in the faith of the fact that he's got it. Yep. Right. So, yeah, I don't know if that answers your question per se, but, but no. certainly, you know, as we talk, as we talk about resilient child discipleship, it's like, okay, God's given us these kids, whether our own or those that we kind of help steward within our local bodies or congregations. And it's our responsibility and our, um, yeah, our, I would even say maybe our right and our need and hopefully our desire yeah. to bring them along in the faith, right? Yeah. To, to help show them in the midst of good times and bad times, um, what it is to, to live out a life faithful to Jesus. That shows your heart, right? And that shows that I think to a lot of leaders, maybe to a lot of people who are listening, a lot of the the culture moment that we're in right now can mm -hmm. feel really overwhelming. Yeah, totally. And totally. I think you can read some of the stats that the book talks about. Some of the, um, I love the language from it was like, they talk about like a mountain range of problems, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Not just one. No. But that there's, there's a simplicity mm. to the most important thing we can do. Yeah. Right. Like, you, that your daughter's want a leader showing up, right? Like that is it's a, huge. It's a huge deal and simple at the same time. But simple to show up, yeah. you know, for, just to show up for a child who's in her who's in her midst. One of the other things too that I think is unique about the book is it, it manages to have a conversation about what is happening inside the church mm -hmm. and what is happening um, in this cultural moment that we're in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think I also think that's kind of rare for for you know to use a really trendy term right now for like Christian content yeah. right now, where I think sometimes the uh, things can be too insular. Yeah. Where it's like oh, the church, is not ex if you read right. a Facebook post, it looks like, is this on an island? Us for a no more type thing or yes. cloistered away. Kind yes. Of. Yeah, yeah. Or yeah. it can be like just a doom and gloom. Yeah. Everything's terrible. Yeah. How did you strike that balance? Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great question. I think, I think we have to realize, you know, Paul talks about this, right? Be in the world, not of the world. Like mm -hmm. we are here. We're not made to be cloistered, you know? And, um, and like I said, I used to be a church planter and I used to be a, I, I pastored for a number of years and, you know, sometimes it's hard when you're in full-time ministry to realize that there are people who are going to Monday morning. Yeah. Right. Like, like I remember, um, working <laughs> and talking with other senior pastors and like, just being like, why aren't people doing our stuff? It's just like, oh yeah. Cause they have jobs yep. and lives and responsibilities and, and requirements of their time and their resources and their energy that are beyond this church. And, um, you know, if we were to just want to be a, a group that was safe and cloistered into our little communities, mm -hmm. um, without venturing back into the real world, that gets pretty dangerous pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, we're, we're called to live this out in the midst of the reality in which we find ourselves. Um, 
you know, and there's wonderful people out there like Mark Sayers who talks about, you know, what, what's the cultural moment that we find ourselves in. Um, people like John Mark Cormer and others uh, who, you know, help us understand some of the times, you know, kind of like these men of Issachar, if you will. Mm-hmm. And who, you know, there's, there's voices that have always been there for the church. Yeah. Guiding lights, um, you know, scouts to culture at times, um, you know, and, and there's probably been times that if we're being very transparent and just having an honest dialogue right now, there's probably been times where those scouts have been shot at by our own. Yeah. You know, um, because maybe they looked like, smelled like, sounded like the world, there'd be air quotes around that, uh, too much. Yeah. And not, and not like, you know, what we'd consider to be the, the people of God. And the good and scary thing about the cultural moment that we live in in regards to even raising kids within this. There's a lot more exposure to brokenness and there's a lot more accessibility to, to ideas that maybe, you know, you and I didn't grow up with, with that much accessibility towards, but existed. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, so as Christian leaders and as parents and people who may care about kids in your life, whether they're your own kids or, you know, whatever the situation may be, you know, ours isn't to just turn our backs on that mm-hmm. and to pretend it doesn't exist or to pull the blanket over our head or to cloister ourselves into communities. Ours is to say, okay, what does it look like to live out the conviction and the truth of scripture with the compassion of the gospel that opens our arms wide to the people around us? And it's incredibly, again, it's incredibly inconvenient and incredibly uncomfortable at times and incredibly just eesh, right? Yeah. Uh, but but that's the gospel yep. sometimes, right? I mean, like that we're recording this around the Christmas season. And I think about the fact that these shepherds who were an unruly group of people who were so disrespected within that society were the first to come mm-hmm. and to witness the Christ. And it's just like, yeah, that's not how I would have done that. <laughs> right. Like that's not how I would have written that story to be yeah. sure. And then let alone the fact that this, you know, you're a parent and I'm a parent and can recall days that we had newborns, right? Yeah. Like the last thing you would do is lay this thing into a feeding trough of cattle. Yeah. No, not so much. Yeah. That's right. Not, that's not the grand story. Yeah. No. And yet this is how God chose to do this. Right. I'd have to make sure it was like cage free animals yeah. all around. <laughs> I have to know the name. I and mean, it yeah. probably was cage free animals. <laughs> oh, but yeah. That's a good point. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but like in that whole thing, um, yeah, I, I think it's a, I think it's a very sobering and sanctifying thought. Mm to think that we are the ones who must steward these young lives and young hearts to navigate a culture that is exceedingly changing, Mm -hmm. that is changing rapidly, that, you know, has these mountains of, of issues. Uh, and we're going to do our best, right? We're going to, we're going to, we're going to do our best and we're going to fail. And we've still got to kind of live out our responsibility, but be okay in God's sovereignty and the whole thing too. Yeah there's this perception that, you know, like, oh, if it's hard, you're not doing it right. Oh, dude. Yeah. Like four kids, bedtime, right? <laughs> like it's hard. Yeah. Right. And and you can talk to other Christian parents and stuff, and I'm probably going to get in trouble for saying this type of thing, but like, man, bedtime for Christian parents, like we, we have this, like, oh, this has got to be Narnia. Like we've got to just <laughs> have the most beautiful, wonderful yeah. gospel centric conversations. And, and there are people who do that. And I, I, so in my brokenness and my like just pure transparency right now, wish my wife and I could do that. Yeah. 
But there are also just times where my wife and I just want to just be with one another, like hang yeah. out and remember, oh yeah, this is the person who I, you know, I'm married to and I'm grateful for, and we mm-hmm. made these wonderful kids together and yeah. everything else. And, and yeah, like it's hard. Bedtime's mm-hmm. hard. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's just a microcosm of this whole thing. Yeah. No. And I think, and it's important to say that because I think it's important too, that for people who are in the middle of, you know, uh, some sort of trial that's bringing out resilience in them totally to recognize that like, oh yeah, this is part of it. Totally. You know, it's funny for what it's worth, but like when I got serious about Jesus in college, um, I would pray, God, you have everything in mind, have everything, like just have everything, but, not, but don't take my imagination <laughs> because I mean, there was a, an immature conviction that I had that's like Christians are the worst when it comes to creating things that are of value or worth or beauty. It's like, God, why would I entrust you with my imagination? Like that's such an arrogant prayer, right? (laughs) Like out of his imagination came all of this. Yeah. Like beauty beyond even our comprehension. Amen. Right. And it's just like, and I think that we as the church collective have a responsibility to be creative, Mm -hmm. to be best in class um, now I don't, I think that has its, uh, dark side. Like I don't, I think we can worship at the altar of excellence. Sure. Right. And, and we yeah. make things just excellent for the sake of being excellent or, you know, top of class. And I think like, again, you know, cutting edge doesn't mean lasers, right? Like it doesn't mean smoke and it, and, and if that helps you, like I've got friends who, who do church installs and I think they do amazing work, but they're, the reason why they do that is to proclaim the gospel with clarity. Amen. Yeah. Right. And, uh, but we're not going to wow people into Jesus. Like that doesn't happen. Like you just, you don't do that. You don't wow people into Jesus. Episode title. (laughs) Is that Isaiah? They talk about, you know, we esteemed him not right. Mm -hmm. Like he is just, there's nothing. And I I was thinking about this the other day. Like there's, it's such a blessing that we don't have photos of Jesus. Mm. That's a great point. Like there's no kid that can emulate I look more like Jesus than you look like. Like there's, there's, Oh man. Like there, Jesus isn't like Captain America where like I can get the Jesus costume. Now we have these like modern interpretations based upon Renaissance paintings and stuff like that. We, we don't have to get into those things, but like, you know, like it's such a blessing that God and his master design, you know, um, the Jewish culture in which Jesus was born into was, was told to make no graven images. So there's no portraits. Yeah. Right? There's there's nothing there. That's so good. And uh yeah. and I think that's a gift. Yeah, absolutely. Cause that would we would have corrupted the bejesus out of that by now. Yeah, absolutely, mm-hmm. right? Like he would have had the, the Richard Nixon Jesus mask. And and I I'm, I'm sure that exists, right? I'm sure that's Oh yeah, but not yeah. not a not quite a sanctioned like I think the church seated a lot of ground and like I loved what you were saying beforehand about like not just leaders of the church, but like leaders in everywhere, right? Yeah. Like the oh yeah, totally. you know, church main hospitals, the church, like the stuff totally. the church is about. Um, like, why can't we have Christians involved in all aspects of life? Mm-hmm. That's where we live. We live in all aspects of life. Yeah. So why can't we bring Jesus into those things? And it doesn't mean, you know, overtly that, a you know, let's just say it was like, it doesn't mean that that banker shares a gospel track with every transaction. Right. But how's the gospel inform my life as a banker? Right. How does the gospel inform my life as a garbage collector? How does the gospel inform my life as a gourmet chef? How does the gospel inform my life as a politician? Exactly. Or somebody involved in the entertainment business or whatever you might want to like, whatever, whatever genre or area that God has given you influence in, what does the gospel look like within that context? 
so how do I become an architect for the gospel or an engineer or a pilot or, mm-hmm. you know, a, a full-time stay-at-home parent? Yeah. You know, like, how does the gospel inform my identity within my profession or vocation? Thanks for listening. We'll be right back. We are so excited to introduce Bright, a new digital weekend curriculum for kids and students created by and for children's ministry leaders. Bright is biblically based and jam-packed with easy-to-use lessons, helpful training videos, digital media, large and small group resources, and so much more. Bright is the perfect solution to pair the gospel truth with engaging content for children and leaders alike. Our prayer is that Bright would help kids navigate real-life challenges. We believe the future of the church is bright. Download a free four-week sample of the Bright curriculum today at resilientdisciples.com. The book talks a lot about 2050, yeah. the year 2050. The book yeah. talks a lot about you know how we are, what we are doing right now is raising up leaders of the church in 2050. Absolutely. If this conversation wasn't happening, yeah. what does the church of 2050 look like? And then, spoiler alert, I'm going to ask you, since this conversation is happening, like, what do you think this church of 2050 can look like if you do this right? Yeah, no, that's great. You know, certainly I believe that God is um, in control enough, right? Like yeah. me as creation, talk about creator. Uh, I'll throw him a bone. I'll say he's in control <laughs> enough. No, but but it, God in his sovereignty, I mean, if it wasn't going to be us, it would be somebody else. Sure. Because it's, it's that, we believe it's that vital of a conversation. And then the conversation is actually taking place within the zeitgeist of culture right now amongst believers. We're not going to be the only ones talking about 2050. There's a future in which if we're not focused in discipling our kids and walking with them in the ways of Jesus and showing them both the good and the bad, you know, taking back the veil in some of these things, right? And showing that holiness is sometimes best expressed in brokenness and experienced in brokenness um, and, and showing them with honesty and not with fear mongering but with conviction and with something that should hopefully ignite their faith that there is a world that is broken you know it's not like Christians aren't broken Yeah, <laughs> you know like we're so broken. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was just that we've come to terms, maybe come to terms, and maybe that's not even the right phrase, but we understand our brokenness a bit to the mm-hmm. point, point that we can't fix ourselves. Yeah, that's good. And I think, we need to, I think we need to have those conversations with our kids because that brokenness is that much more available, right? Like I think about my four kids, and uh, you, know, you and I have talked about this personally. Like we're suburban Amish. We have one TV, right? And, and uh, our kids don't get to engage in screens during the school week and everything else. Now, during the summer, they're just you know, screen pagans. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> that's, that's not true at all. But, uh, Episode title. <laughs> but but you know, we, we, we put in a lot of controls there. And it's not that we're trying to be Luddites. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just that it's addictive. Yeah. And, and we understand that. I mean, I know that there are times where I'm probably on my phone too much. I, mm-hmm. I like the fact that it's got the little counter. And then, you know, if I want to go on Instagram afterwards, I just press ignore for 15 minutes and, <laughs> you know, I'm going to get a little bit more fix. But that being said, you know, I think that, um, why did, why did we make that choice? We made that choice because 
we want to we want to contr- help control the narrative that our kids are experiencing the world in mm-hmm. as much as we can. Yeah, we're not shutting them away from it. No, um, but like, why is this thing being talked about, or why is that imagery being shown, or why are these attitudes being conveyed, or why is this behavior being displayed? But in a culture that's becoming increasingly perhaps distant from a shared expression of Christianity. Mm-hmm. I think there is a burden on the church mm-hmm. to be able to think clearly about those things, engage rightly in those things, uh, not to shut out, you know, screens and to say they're all bad because technology is a neutral tool. Yep. Tool. Um, it can be used for good. Um, but, you know, I think as we talk about resilient discipleship, I think as we talk about this cultural moment, I think as we talk about 2050, if this conversation wasn't happening, we'd be leaving a lot, perhaps, perhaps to chance. So this 2050 conversation for us, the, the, the talk about resilient discipleship is wanting to build, form, uh, disciple, however, whatever word you want to use there, tomorrow's leaders. And we're not even just talking about church leaders. And, that, and I hope that our readers and our listeners are clear on that. Like, we're not just talking about building a bunch of pastors, although, you know, there should be shepherds and pastors that come out of this. Amen. Yeah. You know, like, why can't the next great filmmaker or philosopher or university president or, you know, banker or mayor or whomever it might be, be in a wanna kid today Yep. or be in our churches today, you know, regardless of the ministry that you choose to engage in. But like, why, why can't we have that influence? Yeah. Why, why can't the gospel produce best in class for tomorrow? For the person who's been crying out, being like, no, like this is important what's happening in kid ministry. Yeah. This is where the revival of this church is going to come from. Yeah, yeah. How is this book going to help equip that, them for that conversation? Man, we hope that this book ignites a courage within you and or adds fuel to an already burning passion. Uh, this book isn't written primarily for Kidman leaders either, right? Like that's not that's not the primary or only audience, I should mm-hmm. say. Uh, if you're a senior leader, you should be able to engage in this because this talks about your church, the church that you're stewarding and leading, and and you know, kind of trying to bring about within your community. So this isn't this isn't just Kidman centric. Here's you know, five ways to to do you know, a creative puppet show type thing. <laughs> And and they believe that was such a. There's so much more there's that so happens. Many, yeah, there's that. so many creative puppet shows. If you, <laughs> if you have a puppet show in your trunk right now, you're not discouraging <laughs> a puppet show. But but this book, I think, whether you're an executive pastor mm-hmm. or a senior pastor or involved in senior leadership within a local church body in any regard, our prayer is that this this book and hopefully the conversation surrounding this book um, opens your eyes to the fact that this is the most critical and crucial conversation that should be happening in the church today. Yeah. I mean, think about it. Where else do we have the ability to help shape tomorrow and we're not investing in it perhaps as um, deliberately or strategically as a case in like the local church and the children's ministry there. That's so good. You know, and, and I think, man, that just, that, that doesn't make like your personal finances, you don't, you don't just kind of put money in a place like, you know, unless you're putting it under your pillow or in a coffee can in your backyard and you're like, well, that's not going to, who does that? Yeah. Like what, what, that's not, a, that's not a good investment yep. strategy. Mm-hmm. And I think if we're really serious about looking at our churches 
why wouldn't you make the investment in the children and the young people within your church? Allow them with the same amount of Holy Spirit that you have as an adult to express their gifts and their talents and their leadership at age, you know, whatever they might be. Yeah. Um, man, like that's investment. Yep. That's like future forward. If you've read this book and you're in children's ministry, our, our hope would be that your senior leadership team that you partner with on the gospel within your local community can engage in it because it's not, it's, it's not just about children's ministry. Yep. It's about the future of the church. I think so many, so much of what we consume, like the most popular movies are, you know, superhero movies where the world is collapsing, right? Very apocalyptic, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, It can feel like, um, the only vision of the future we get is how terrible it's going to be or Wally with cute robots, right? What does it look like? when God leads through this conversation. Yeah. I think there could still be cute robots. I don't know if they're cleaning up the earth, uh, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily like say there's not going to be cute robots. No, that's good. That's fair. I mean, I just don't let's throw the baby out with the bathwater per se. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Dude, if we get this right, man, we are going to have churches vibrant within their communities. Mm. Like we're going to have churches that could look dramatically different, right? Like they could, uh, they could at first blush, if we were to take a time machine, you know, those churches could look dramatically different in, in maybe some of the ways that they're practicing or displaying mm-hmm. the faith in a public setting. Mm-hmm. But I think my hope at least is that they have a depth yeah. and a health and um, an ability to be, within their culture in a way that adds life and vitality and truth and love and warmth and light. Why, why wouldn't that be the case? Right? Like if, if we're raising disciples yeah. and, and I have such a hope for this cause I've got four kids, you've got, you know, children who you want to see be a part of that vibrant future of faith. Yeah, man. I mean, no matter maybe how hopeless politics may have gotten us down that road, right? Or, or the public education system or, you know, pick, pick your vice, you know, or pick the thing that keeps you up at night. Yeah, pick your grievance. The church is still mightier than those things, mm. right? Like the gospel is still stronger, better, and truer than all of those things. Amen. No matter and despite the circumstances that may be around that. Man, I, I mean, I've had the ability and the, the blessing to travel to a lot of places for Awana. We, we serve in over 120 countries all over the world at this point. And um, there are people in very extreme situations. Situations that I would not want to find my children in. Yeah. And there are courageous men and women in those situations who love those kids so genuinely and so honestly and so vibrantly. And no matter where we find ourselves, right? Because I take film crews and I take story crews with me. And um, it's one of the best parts of my job, to be honest with you. And um, the universal sound that I hear, no matter if I'm in Kibera or Kathmandu or Kansas City or Kissimmee, Florida, or wherever I might find myself, is laughter. Mm-hmm kids having fun engaging with people who see them, who know them, who love them, who just want to be with them. And, you know, especially in the developing world. Yeah. Uh, Especially in, in places like a Kabira slum, 
those uh, experiences that may in the States last 60 to 90 minutes, right? Like we, we have time yeah. and we set it to the time and it's just there <laughs> and then it's done and yep. you got to move on because yep. people have lives. Yep. And it's not to say they don't have lives in Kabira, but those, those experiences where a child gets around a loving, caring adult, those last five, six hours, those kids grow into leaders of the church and of culture and of communities of tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Why wouldn't we want that? Like, what, what, what's not great about that potential future and what that holds? I mean, Jesus always chooses the least likely in these situations in order to make the most amount of change. And, you know, who's the lost and the least? It's normally the kids in any community, in any situation. podcast and thank you for listening if you're still here you're either related to me or you believe that the future of our church is dependent on how we disciple our children today please rate review and subscribe to this podcast it really helps more people discover the show before you go i asked mike what resilient means to him i loved his answer because it involves the phrase dad taxi enjoy so i think resilient the reason why it's probably in the cultural zeitgeist right now is because it's being displayed in such a way that people understand that despite the technology and the shortcuts and everything else, life is hard. Yeah. And resilient means to bend and not break. Like resilient means to have grit and determination and um, to be able to face very hard circumstances and situations and to be, to be able to, to do it. Yeah. Like to endure. Um, resilient means to have tenacity and to just be able to gut it out and to do so in a way that doesn't leave you just broken at the end, but better. Yeah. Um, now you might have to go through some brokenness to get to better, but at the end of the day, resilience is, it's a positive thing. It's not a negative thing. It's a, you know, we pray this prayer every day with my kids on the way to school. I'm dad taxing in the morning, so... I drop them off. But every day on the way to school, we pray the same thing. Part of that prayer is, Father, help us be kind to others even when they're not kind to us. I want my kids to know that life will not always be kind. Yeah. But that's not an excuse. That's not a rationale in order to act any certain way or to feel any certain way other than to say, this is going to happen and I'm gonna extend kindness and gratitude and joy in any and all circumstances. Very easy to talk about. It's very hard to live out. But I think that is resilience. The Resilient Disciples podcast is powered by Awana. Go to resilientdisciples.com for more information and many more of these conversations. Special thanks to Kevin Orris and Phil Wallace for making this conversation happen. I'm Ross Cochran, and we'll talk again soon.